Hello and welcome to another edition of Podcasts from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. These podcasts appear on the Financial Mail online and on the Apple and Spotify podcast channels as well, so they're heard around the world and you've got no excuse for missing them. There's a strange sort of dance in South Africa these days between the government on one hand and critics who are able to write in the newspapers, appear on TV or may have their own podcasts, along with another huge sector of our society that we simply could not live without, the business community. Business, or the government, sorry, the government sees the world in terms of what it calls social partners, i.e. them, the unions, and some civic organizations, and business. In reality, though, business is an outsider. It's unlikely to share the ideologies of the other partners. Critics are not a social partner at all, but we would tend to assume that business is, well, sort of sympathetic to what we have to say. We don't have social partners, but we do have people whose ideals we assume we vaguely share. Business peoples, honest ones or legal ones at least, we can talk to and often need to and often want to. After all, business has as much right to complain about the government as we ordinary citizens do. It's not uncommon. Business everywhere in the world works under rules laid down by governments. It has no choice that it can challenge laws and courts in a democratic country like ours at least. But British business largely works with its government, Chinese business with its authority, and so on. In South Africa, business is still accused of having collaborated with apartheid. A wholly unfair accusation, in my view, is the way business cooperates with the ANC government these days is almost unprecedented, and no one thinks it at all strange. The government reaction to COVID, or I would call it um, an overreaction, with multiple lockdowns playing havoc with employers and their workers, took a terrible toll on business confidence and trust. And it lingers today. And speak to the captains of industry in private around lunch or drinks in the evening, even if they've been cooperating with the government all day, and the complaints will flow thick and fast. But business doesn't have the luxury of idle commentating or complaining. Put another way, in addition to complaining, it also has to do something about it all. Companies need to survive, and frankly, if that were not the case, if it were not for the expertise and drive of the private sector in South Africa, we would be in a very dire predicament today, certainly much worse than it is currently. So it was no surprise to see it coming to the aid of the government during COVID. They launched the Solidarity Fund, heavily backed by the Oppenheimer and Rupert families, and worked furiously hard as business for South Africa to plug holes, uh, plug the many holes drilled into the economy by the pandemic and the state's heavy-handed response to it. The government back then tried to approach the pandemic at two levels. First, it imposed severe lockdowns as a form of social control. Second, it tried to approach the pandemic as an economic opportunity, which I always thought was a bit of a loopy idea. But I remember watching business build its contribution to what would become President Saul Ramaphosa's economic reconstruction and recovery plan, still his blueprint for growth. Uh, and he presented that plan in October 2020, less than seven months after the pandemic began. The union and ANC contributions to the plan were paltry by comparison uh, with the detailed work business put into its effort. But to be honest, not much of the business contributions survived. Ramaphosa was to outline his priorities when presenting a plan to a joint sitting, a special joint sitting of Parliament. 
and his priorities were to create jobs, ho-ho, primarily through aggressive infrastructure investment and mass employment programs, most of which I think have now come to an end. He wanted to reindustrialize our economy, focusing on growth in small businesses. He wanted to accelerate economic reforms to, quote, unlock, unquote, ha-ha, investment and growth, to fight crime and corruption, and to improve the capability of the state. Sadly, Ramaphosa wasn't really running the show during COVID, and he didn't have the political strength or moral courage to back his own plan. Instead, he let it drift, and we continued to lock down the economy every time a new COVID variant appeared, any time something scary happened, and we were desperately late to order COVID vaccinations. To get back to the priorities, uh, we still not reindustrialize our economy. Um, we are still not creating jobs. We have not created um, much by the way of reindustrialization. Anything, frankly. And we haven't accelerated much investment or growth. We're not fighting crime the way we should. And the capability of the state is what it was when we said it was needed improvement. To be fair, there has been an effort at reform. Ramaphosa pushed through a total removal of the cap on energy generation by the private sector, though seemingly unaware that a crippling lack of grid capacity would hobble the reform further down the road. And he's trying to introduce private capital into the ports and railways. Throughout all of this, though, businesses never walked away from Ramaphosa, disappointing as he may have been, or is, to many CEOs. Because to them, he just has to succeed. And when you cast around Ramaphosa to the rest of the ANC leadership for who might one day replace him, the pickings are not only slim, they're downright frightening. But equally, it's become clear to business that they can't fix everything that's wrong with the ANC, particularly its chronic inability to follow through on grand decisions and many grand decisions that it makes. Increasingly, business has begun to say to itself that it needs to focus. And you can see it in the rapid development um, of new programs in the past year, business is quietly shifting its focus from everything to just a few things. If their focus goes to hope, the chances of success must surely be better. To a large extent, this narrowing has been driven by Discovery founder and CEO Adrian Gore. It's a remarkable effort by a man who is sometimes mocked on social media for his relentless positivity, and perhaps especially as his company has been directly threatened by attempts by the government to he is helping to create a new healthcare dispensation in South Africa which could prove terminal to medical aid schemes like Discovery. But he is, of course, right. Why give up? His own business is arguably more threatened by government failures, generally, than by the mooted national health insurance. And his is the hand behind the announcement last week that 115 CEOs, 115 of South Africa's top companies have pledged their support uh, for a business-led initiative, this is according to the report I read, to assist the government in getting the economy, quote, back on track and fix the, com the country's energy, logistics and security problems. The initiative comes, the, the report, as SA faces crippling power cuts, a deteriorating freight rail capacity and a growing threat from criminal groups that have laid siege to public infrastructure. It also comes as government and business present a united front to save the country's relationship with the US and remain part of preferential trade arrangements despite the perceived sympathy with Russia in its war on Ukraine. 
Instead of trying to fix everything, though, the Gore model or impulse is to focus on electricity, logistics, and crime, and that's a big difference. To a large extent, business initiatives like this start with business, or more latterly, start with business putting a proposition to government rather than the other way around. The government doesn't necessarily enjoy being reminded that it can't do its job, but the business initiatives exist where they're narrow abroad because, and they would deny it, business believes still that it can do the state's job better. That may be overstating it a little bit, I suppose, but it certainly thinks, and probably correctly, that it has smarter people. In fact, business put together a 100 million rand fund earlier this year to pay people seconded to mainly Ramaphosa's office to help with bottlenecks in policy implementation. Still, Gore's bet is a big one. After this, business has not got much more to offer, and success still depends on the same thing. Deploys from business into government need to develop sufficient skill uh, to make decisions that actually become implementable. Working in government ain't like working in the office. With the ANC, this is the hard part, and the reason Ramaphosa's many plans have still not borne much fruit. Time will tell, they say, if you'll exclude the cliché. And to an extent, the quality of the government's response comes down to one guy, Ebrahim Patel, trade industry and competition minister, in whom Ramaphosa has invested practically his entire presidency. All of, his, of all of his ministers, none works harder than Patel, and none is closer on policy issues. And it was Patel who sold Ramaphosa the notion that COVID was a crisis to use to transform the economy, the crisis we could not waste. Ramaphosa's reconstruction and recovery plan is basically Patel's plan. And three years after COVID began, it was Patel, not Foreign Minister Naledi Pandor, who led a delegation of ministers to the US last month to try and persuade that country not to exclude South Africa from its AGOA trade preference scheme when it renews it next year. Why is that? Well, it's because Patel can talk the talk. Business leaders who accompanied the ministers came back uh, seriously impressed with Patel's ability to listen and to soak up criticism of our relationship with Russia from some pretty angry US congressmen and women. And knowing him, I can imagine how this worked. Patel is unfailingly polite and thoughtful, and he would have charmed many of the Americans he met. His weakness, though, is that he's also deeply cynical, and he doesn't really value business other than as an employer. Promised to create jobs in one of the many industrial sector master plans he's created, and the word is, you get to boss him around a little bit. To an extent, the government has become cynical too about business. The desperation is all on the business side. I asked somebody why, and he said to me, you know, this is our economy and these are our businesses, we just have to get it right. Multiply that times 115 of our biggest public companies, and you get an idea of the of the scale of um, not desperation of the scale of anxiety that's moved all these guys to to say to Adrian Gore, "How can we help you?" But however hard they may try, the fact is this is still the ANC they're dealing with. Even people locked up in the relative intellectual safety of Ramaphosa's offices in the Union Building will have to venture out sometimes to get things done, venture outside on the actual ground, where the failure is chronic. 
At some stage of fixing electricity or rail or crime, business or its employees on the ground are going to come face to face with the reality of the ANC. It could be a business forum, wanting part of a tender as a construction project gets put together. Or else, it could be clear evidence of criminality or some other venality that when reported is just simply ignored by the political hierarchy. It'll be the people who've literally broken small town South Africa and about whom Cyril Ramaphosa has done absolutely nothing. Are we despondent about business putting up its hand to help out a failing state? No, of course not. Thank heavens they do. Any value still left in this country is down to business and the infinite patience and good nature of the poor, who are the vast majority in South, in South Africa. I've always said that business, or perhaps I mean wealth generally, and the poor are natural allies in a country where the government is mediocre and dishonest. Rich and poor are being sucked down deep holes by a government that doesn't know what it's doing and doesn't really care about either of them. While it is helping out the government and, inevitably, the ANC, let's also hope the business has enough in the bank to make sure that responsible opposition parties get the funds they need to get their vote out on Election Day next year. Probably that'll happen around May. The best way of keeping the ANC and its government honest is to put them under political pressure, and the only time you get to do that is during an election. Business has got to see the 2024 elections as every bit as important to them as it is to help out Ramaphosa and his government today. I reckon that between them, business in South Africa could put at least 5 billion rand at the disposal of responsible opposition parties next year, or for next year. And I don't include the EFF and its satellites in that basket. Still, news came through as I was preparing this talk, that the electricity regulator has approved a license for the new independent transmission company uh, to be spun out of ESCOM. That's good. That's good news. Now it needs a visionary board appointed, don't hold your breath, and to somehow vastly expand its grid so the queue of renewables projects waiting to hook themselves up doesn't get any longer. And then it needs the government of the day to think a lot harder about economic policy. The ANC has, from the start, been excruciatingly poor at prioritizing when it sets policy goals. For Ramaphosa, the hard prioritizing boils down to choosing between economic growth and economic transformation. He's tried with very poor results to do both at the same time, and South Africa's growth prospects as a democracy have seldom looked more poor. One day not too far away, he or his successor will simply have to choose because transformation cannot happen without growth happening first. Well, that's me for this week. Thank you so much for joining me, and I hope to catch up with you again soon. Bye for now. Stay safe. Stay warm.